Welcome to another episode of Coder Spotlight, where we interview developers, designers, and other contributors in the world of custom software. Today's guest is Jeff Putz, an Agile Thought Technical Architect. Jeff, thank you for being on the show today. Sure thing. Now let's talk about your history with software development. When did you first get introduced to code? I would like to say that it was somewhere around sixth grade. It was one of those weird situations where uh, my school in an inner city school in Cleveland had a uh, an old Radio Shack computer that sat on a cart that got wheeled around between the different rooms, classrooms. And uh, one day they brought it in. I thought, oh, what is this magical box and what can it do? And at the time, you know, it was uh, it was still a, a pretty rudimentary tool. But um, what I had learned uh, back to going to the library, because we still had to do that back in those days, where there, there were these magazines that had code listings in them that you would take home and that you would type into the computer, and then the computer would do whatever it was that the program was supposed to do. So that was my first uh, exposure to it. And it was uh, it, it sounds really ancient. And, and basic to us, um, but at, at the time, um, it was it was kind of like lights went off in my head. Like this is really cool. I can make this machine do whatever I think I want it to do. And, and while there was certainly a lot to learn from that point on, um, it was kind of the genesis of, of my interest in in software development. Awesome. So, what was the first language you used? Different flavors of BASIC. So that Radio Shack computer used BASIC, and then I also had uh, an Atari 8-bit computer that used its form of BASIC, and then an Apple II that also used BASIC. So I think that was uh, for anyone who was, uh, you know, growing up in the late 80s or early 90s, that was probably your first your first shot at it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's the case. Um, so what is the the language you use most often at work? Uh, for the most part, it's C sharp uh, with a lot of uh, JavaScript now because uh, we try to be, uh, you know, we try to be knowledgeable in front end and back end technology. So for us, um, for me at least, I've, I've been kind of a .NET stack guy for a long time. So C sharp has been uh, my my primary tool um, mm -hmm. uh, on the back end, and then JavaScript is probably one of the first things we learn as. Uh, developers um, uh, who, who deal with the web in any way because it's everywhere and it has been for a long time. Do you prefer one over the other? Uh, it depends. I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by a lot of the frameworks that have come out in the last couple of years. Uh, for the front end, and I think it's a it's an interesting evolution because JavaScript has really been bent uh, into uh, something that can do a lot more than maybe anyone ever orig originally had planned for it to do. Uh, and then we have other abstractions over the top of it, like TypeScript and things that can compile to JavaScript. And uh, so that end of it is is interesting. But C# -sharp has been pretty uh, pretty stable for a long time, and they continue to uh, evolve it slowly and add uh, good features to it. And um, I think for a lot of the work that I've been doing in the specific kinds of projects that I've been on, a lot of them having to do with performance uh, challenges, uh, C-sharp is where I've spent more time. So I feel like that's definitely my stronger my, my stronger suit. Would be C-sharp. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, do you remember the first program you ever wrote? Yes. It was, believe it or not, uh, it was on an Atari 600XL, and it was my variation on uh, Wheel of Fortune. It was all it was all text, all right. But um, when you spun the wheel, like the the numbers of the dollar sign, the dollar amounts would kind of just rotate and, and and make a clicking sound in the corner of the screen until it landed on one. And I thought that was a really big deal. And I I mean, for being like in seventh grade, maybe it was. But um, yeah, that was that was my first. That's pretty impressive for a seventh grader. 
Yeah, it was it was funny at the time because nobody really appreciated it because you know people really uh, weren't big on having computers in their homes at the time because this was this would have been right around like eighty five or eighty six, so they weren't as as uh, you know as obvious as they were today. But uh, uh, yeah, I just sat there in my basement and just worked at it until I figured it out. Did you brag to your friends about it? No, no, not at all. Um, my friends were, generally speaking, probably not that interested at, at the time. I mean, we were kind of at that age where uh, we were starting to get more interested in girls mm -hmm. and, um, and basically doing things that were probably, you know, not uh, constructive or, or rather I should say we would do destructive things because that's what, you know, that's what young boys do. They blow things up and, you know, <laughs> cause havoc. So. <laughs> Um, can you walk us through the average day that you experience at work? Yeah, you know, it actually it varies quite a bit. Um, as a technical architect, uh, our, there are projects, um, you know, no two are the same, right? So uh, one project might be something that is very um, greenfield, where you get to essentially start from scratch and, you know, you meet with the client early on and you have a discovery period where you kind of flesh out what it is that they're trying to do in terms of problem solving and what the solution might look like. And then other days you might have a project where uh, you are making a second release of an existing project or, or maybe addressing a, uh, uh, a performance issue or, or coming up with some kind of new release uh, for, to add features. Um, and then at other times, you might strictly be on a, uh, a, a consulting project, which is very much, okay, well, we need some external expertise to come in and help us understand where we need to go or how we solve these problems, and, and it's a little more abstract. So it varies quite a bit. Um, if, I'm, uh, if, I could, if I could draw any you know, similarities between the two is that once you get in the heat of development, your day almost always starts with a uh, what we call a stand-up meeting mm -hmm. where the development team and people from the business will get together and, and talk about what they've been working on, uh, what they'll be working on for uh, that particular day, and if there are any things getting in the way of them moving forward, so that's a, a pretty standard thing for us. But then beyond that, uh, especially for a technical architect, um, it really depends. Uh, the, the interesting thing is I've had projects where I have been uh, more of an administrative role, uh, and then there are others where I deal more with um, the the quality and, and design of, of the product or the uh, compliance issues when we have those, depending on the you know the, the type of industry that we're serving. Um, and then there are other times where I might spend 50 to 75 percent of my day actually coding. Um, so it, it varies quite a bit for the technical architect. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Now I'm assuming you started for many years as a, a software developer before you became a technical architect. Mm -hmm. Is that usually how that works? You become, what, a junior developer, senior, then you go on to technical architect? Yeah, and and I think from a, you know from a career stage uh, or a career progression, it's interesting because people come from so many different uh, they come from so many different backgrounds and and how they get into it. I mean, I actually you know went to uh, college for I double majored in radio, TV, and journalism, wow. uh, which you know has very little to do with what I do today. Right. But given the timing of that, uh, a couple of years after I got out of school, I'd been working in a TV job, and um, you know it was clear that that internet thing was not going to go away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I did learn I learned very quickly uh, as much as I viewed the internet as another form of media which I think is something we all do today and take for granted um, at the time I realized wow to do anything really interesting with this you need to learn to write some software you know you, you can't just throw up some static pages to a website and, and call that 
uh, interesting. It, it has to do something, right? So that's when I kind of got back to the thing, well, I, I did this and I tinkered with this as a child. You know, do a, is this something I can get back into? And it kind of took off from there. Um, and that's when I got into uh, hardcore development and, you know, had the right people around me to mentor me and, and the right learning resources. And it kind of blossomed from there. So I, I went through the various stages of, you know, uh, starting developer, junior developer, uh, senior developer, and um, and then eventually uh, technical architect. Um, and that's uh, a, a typical, that's, that's a pretty typical progression. It's just the, the starting point is tends to be very different for a lot of people, I think. Right. Now, is there anything that you kind of move into after a technical architect? Well, I think that depends a lot on, on the company. Um, you know, as, as companies grow, and, and particularly, you know, Agile Thought is, has experienced some pretty impressive growth in the last couple of years, you know, there becomes some opportunities in terms of, uh, you know, director positions or practice leads and, and things that, you know, maybe we haven't completely well defined yet, but we see as, as business opportunities and, and places for people to assume uh, more leadership roles. Um, sometimes technical architects will kind of go the route of uh, more uh, management positions, um, not, you know, at, at various companies. Uh, it just kind of depends. Um, I, I think the, of the things that you can do um, that are um, further along in terms of career, the the hardcore technical, uh, some people would call them technical fellows, <laughs> um, you know, those are the people uh, who are probably exceptionally rare. Those are the people who, you know, invent languages and, and you know, are you know, people at that level. Um, it was interesting because I, I worked at Microsoft for a couple of years, and those people definitely existed, but they were pretty rare. Um, uh, and and I think that makes sense, right? Because there's there there comes a point where the the level that you need to be at to get into that level of sheer creation of something completely new. In, it requires incredible intelligence and, and the kind of vision that not everyone has. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think most people are realistic to, to, in the fact that, that what they do is they become as good as they can in the areas that they that they understand well and, and look for new areas to grow into. Um, but you get more, I think, in, from a career standpoint, into the process of execution. Like you've, you've been through the process of enough times that you understand, hey, this is how you make software. And because this is how I know how to make software, I can apply all of those skills and those, that experience to doing the same thing in, in a very high value way to whoever it is that I'm working for. So I think that that's where you start to you know, blur the lines in terms of uh, leadership. And, and I think hopefully at least, the best people always stay very technically grounded as well as developing their soft skills to work with other people and teams and clients, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now, is that something that you're personally trying to, to get to that level as, what did you refer to it as, technical fellas? Yeah, no, I, I def definitely not. I, I think I, I think I know my what my limitations are. Um, I think that my strong my strong suit in the place where I've found the most success is where I'm able to contribute in a meaningful way uh, in terms of process. Um, so you know, I I enjoy having a group of developers, and sometimes you know I may have you know some junior people as well, um, and, and and getting those people together to execute on whatever it is the the vision of the product is or what the, whatever the client's vision is. Um, I, I feel like that's something I'm pretty good at and, and um, I enjoy it. I get a lot of satisfaction out of having that process uh, or being at the center of that process um, and, and all the things that kind of go with it. So in that, in that respect, I think that's where I think my, my continued growth path will go. Nice. Was there anything specific that drew you to technology and software development? Oh, um, well, I think, again, a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, the Internet really was something that 
that in order to really use it and, and exploit it as, as a meaningful platform for anything, um, and at the, day, you know, at the time I was thinking more in terms of media, um, you really had to learn uh, to develop software. So I think that was the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that pushed me in that direction. Um, I think what continues to push me in that direction as we go forward is just that there are a lot of in more interesting problems to solve now. Mm -hmm. um, and and now we're starting to even see at the bleeding edge of things, we're seeing how a lot of those problems that we can solve actually start to bleed into the real world with physical things, right? I mean, Internet of Things is very much a, a buzzword that I, I kind of loathe because I hate the way we use buzzwords <laughs> in our industry. But, it, but there is some truth to the fact that now we're getting to a point where actual uh, devices that can do things beyond just serving up, you know, data and media to you um, can actually make things happen. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity that I see in, in that area, and that, that's kind of the thing that keeps me going. And then there's also uh, a completely separate, uh, separate field of just understanding data. You know, we can collect data on so many things now. Um, where's the value in all that data and understanding, you know, what's the science behind processing it, looking for trends, what can I do with that stuff? Um, and uh, there's a lot of opportunity there too. So those are all things that I think keep me, you know, plugged in and, and drawn and, and going forward with it. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I heard you mention earlier that you had a mentor. Do you still have a mentor? Um, I had, I think in every job that I've had, there have been people that I've looked up to. Uh, in fact, I even, I, I jokingly told uh, someone that I was uh, mentoring here at Agile Thought uh, as he was transitioning into a uh, architect role, I said, you know, if you're ever in a position where there is nobody around you um, to make you better, um, that it might be time to look at different career opportunities because I think that's, it's, it's really critical. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, basically learn from a lot of my peers in, in every situation. Um, and I think that particularly at our company, we have the advantage of having so many smart people that we can bounce things off of and, and learn from because a lot of the problems that we encounter are, are solved problems. Someone else has encountered them before. Uh, so when you can get into those situations where you have a pool of resources of people to help you like that, I think that's super critical. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, you know, from the opposite end of that, I think as a, a person who, you know, starts to get into more leadership roles, I think it's critical that they that they share that knowledge and share that experience with other people who are either junior or coming up to the same level. Um, because the, the reality is, is our profession has more to do and more in common, I think, with, with blue-collar trades than people will, will give it credit for, um, especially when you consider the diverse, you know, backgrounds that we have. You know, I, it, I would probably anecdotally say 50% of people uh, who are in this did not go to school for computer science. And of that, and of that half, maybe half of those people are, depending on, on the region at least, especially on the coast, on the west coast, um, may not have gone to college at all. So, so, there, so it's important that there are people there to help teach those skills and can continue to pass them on so that they understand, hey, this is how you're doing things today, but let me show you a better way to do this. Let me show you how to apply what you've learned and then apply it to this situation, which is, you know, easier to read or more stable or scales better, you know, all the things that we that we strive for in software development. So it's a, it's something that I think that is, is very important to me, and, and it's the reason that I try to get out and speak at user group meetings and conferences and things. Okay, so you are involved in a local development community? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, here in Orlando, where I'm based, we have uh, a an organization called uh, Orlando.net User Group, or, or OneTug for short, and um, they have monthly meetings, and I speak at those periodically. And then, of course, they have their big conference every uh, month, or every year, rather, in the spring, which is free, called uh, Orlando Code Camp. And I'm trying to make it out to some more of those, because there are some regional uh, events around uh, Florida. There's also one in Tampa. There's one closer to Miami. And I think there's also one up in Fort Lauderdale. I want to try to make it the rounds to all of those things so that I can, uh, you know, sh again, share my experiences and, and just make the industry as a whole better. Right. Absolutely. So I, I know you were talking a lot about your, your technical architect role, but could you tell me what is your favorite aspect of your role? I think those those moments where you, you have the realization that you've delivered some pretty excellent value, uh, those those things you typically come towards the end of a project, right, or, or even after a project. Um, but you know, in terms of just job satisfaction and, and feeling, wow, that's like I, I really did something, you know, that is that was interesting at the time and of value to someone. Those are the moments that I that I really you know look forward to. And I can give you a, a, an example. Um, I had a client uh, last year that I did a project for uh, it was actually a the, the second release of the product that I was working on for them and the release was entirely focused on performance um, they had gotten to a point where their user base had gotten large enough that there were they were starting to see some challenges in terms of uh, performance and it wasn't it wasn't completely you know causing uh, risk to the business but it was clear that if we didn't address some of those things uh, at the time uh, that there were going to be some bigger issues so uh, we went through that process and identified where the the pinch points were and we made it better and you know the thing that uh, you know started to struggle with uh, 300 intense users working on it scaled beyond I don't know we I think we tested up to 750 and that still didn't break it so that was a good place to be um, but I, I talked to the uh, product owner a, a couple of months after um, the the peak of their busy season and I said you know how's it going she's like you know what she's like I've been meaning to tell you because I've been thinking about it um, but it's been basically silent and I said well what do you mean well nobody's complained about anything <laughs> and I said well that's a good problem to have right she's like yeah I know but isn't it funny how you forget to thank people and congratulate people on on excellent work when nobody complains about it I said yeah that, that's definitely true but you know I definitely appreciate the feedback so so that was a that was a great moment for me and and I think that you know you you, you strive for those kind of moments and uh, those are the days where you're like yeah I I'm I'm glad that I do what I do and and I'm, I'm happy to see those kind of results and see people realize the value of, of what it is that I spend so much time doing. Absolutely. That sounds very rewarding. Um, are there any cool technologies coming up that you're looking forward to? Yeah, you know, I'm always looking forward to what the next uh, next tool in the toolbox is for um, Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud platform. Uh, I, I had the interesting experience of, of working with that platform um, as an internal customer when I worked at Microsoft uh, back in, I want to say 2010, um, I had worked on a big project there uh, that was kind of a, a pilot of sorts. Um, I worked in the MSDN group, so developers who work on the stack definitely know MSDN. But um, we, uh, you know, the, it was it was pretty rough at that in those days, in, in terms of just you know the amount of things that you could do with it, and to see where it's come to now is is just staggering. I mean, the idea that you can just spin up in a matter of, of minutes, you know, all of these different resources to build something that could scale to potentially you know millions, tens of millions of users, that's amazing. You know, I mean, I, I always say 
I always joke to people, man, we live in the future. That's cool. <laughs> um, but uh, then, then kind of also uh, not entirely related, but uh, the uh, .NET framework in general uh, has gone to an open source model. So Microsoft put out a, uh, a, a new release that is essentially a, a ground-up rebuild um, that was done very much in the public eye. Uh, and that first release came out a couple of months ago, and it's it's super interesting from the standpoint that there is quickly a community growing around it and the performance that they're that they're getting out of it is just staggering um, it's so good so I think there's a lot of excitement in the in the new the new and improved.net world there, there's some pain to get there I think for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, but as things kind of stabilize it's it's interesting to see where that platform has gone uh, and where it's going so I'm, I'm excited to work with that awesome. So our last question, which is our fun question, what is your favorite mobile app you cannot live without? Um, honestly, this seems like such a lame thing, to, lame answer, but it's the browser. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's useful. It is. It is. You know, it's funny that we have in technical circles, uh, we have this, this debate a lot about uh, apps because, you know, a, a lot of apps on phones typically are just light wrappers around something that you probably could do on a website in the first place. Um, and that's not a cr- criticism of ever anything. There are a lot of, you know, pros and cons to having apps. But I'm, I'm surprised at how many things now, because the world has really respected the idea that people are viewing um you know, websites on phones and tablets. It's amazing how useful and, and how robust those things have become. So, um, you know, honestly, I, I find myself in a browser pretty frequently. I mean, you know, outside of, you know, the, the usual, you know, Instagram and Facebook posts, of course. But, um, you know, how many pictures of my kid and, and cats do you really need to see, right? So <laughs> so beyond that, I, I got to say it's, it's it's still the browser. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, uh, web-based development, and so that may color my perception a little little bit, but uh, I, I find I still use it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's funny. That's an app I wouldn't consider or think of, but that is certainly on, one I use most often. So it's, it's on every phone. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. Sure thing. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts or if you're interested in finding out how Agile Thought can help your next IT projects, visit agilethought.com.